0: you for the welcome. Great to be with you today and welcome to this new series. We're preaching some sermons on the most famous sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount and I actually think it's the most influential, the most challenging teaching in the history of the world. Would you agree with that? I mean I know that's a big claim but firstly the most influential, the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount Well, even some of the phrases he used, let alone the whole thing, have come lodged in our English language. I want to give you a little test, actually, um, and I'll be taking in the papers at the end, so try your hardest. Uh, Of which of these phrases, you're going to see some phrases on the screen, which of these phrases feature in the Sermon on the Mount? I've thrown in a few wild cards, but if you think it's in, you give me a thumbs up. If you don't think it's in the Sermon on the Mount, give me a thumbs down. Is that okay? All right, here we go. Salt of the earth, is that in or out? It's in. You're right. Love your enemies. It's in. Absolutely. You win some, you lose some. It's out. That's the wild card. There we go. If your right eye sins, gouge it out. Did Jesus really say that? He did. It's in. All right. Judge not, lest you be judged. It's in. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It's not in. Not in. I don't even know what that means, but it's definitely not in the Sermon on the Mount. Go the extra mile. It's in. Children should be seen and not heard. I wish it was in, (laughs) but it's not in. It's not in. Uh, Turn the other cheek. If someone hits you on one cheek, it's in. Turn the other cheek. And finally, before you take the speck out of somebody else's eye, take out the plank from your own eye. It's in. It's in. What incredible, famous, world-renowned teaching of Jesus that's become so influential, not just on our language, but on our cultural values. You know, Jesus single-handedly made certain things fashionable (laughs) that used to be unfashionable. For example, humility. In the Roman Empire, humility was a negative thing. That was for weak people. You wanted to exalt yourself and assert yourself on the world. They valued pride and power, but Jesus made values like humility and compassion He made them fashionable. He made it clear that the powerful should care for the weak and not tread down on them. Why are we so appalled today at what Vladimir Putin is doing? Because of the Sermon on the Mount. Because it doesn't fit with the Jesus way that's come to shape our understanding of how the world should work. This is the most influential teaching in the history of the world, but it's also the most challenging. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect summary of how I would like you to treat me. (laughs) The problem is when I think, but I've also got to get into this and treat you that way. It's incredibly challenging. I mean, we've just off the cuff mentioned some phrases, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Do you know what this would have sounded like in the original context in which it was given? It's extraordinarily hard to live out the Sermon on the Mount. It's alien to how our sinful natures want to operate in the world. Because we're by nature self-interested creatures. And the Sermon on the Mount is going to call us to live a completely, a radically different way. I heard of an American professor who set a paper for her English graduate students to read the Sermon on the Mount. She didn't tell them that it was by Jesus, and they'd never read it before. They were just non-Christian students. She said to read the Sermon on the Mount, and then she asked them to write an essay on it. And she was stunned by the replies in the essays. They didn't like it. They thought it was impractical. They just thought it didn't work. It's not the way, It it does not the way life works. It's so radical. They didn't like it. A couple of them said, this teaching is absurd. (laughs) Another one said, it's the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statements I've ever heard. Now those people are actually hearing the Sermon on the Mount. You see, some of us are maybe unfamiliar with Jesus' teaching. You've never heard of a Sermon on the Mount before. Do you know what? You might hear it the clearest. It might be fresh in yours. Others of us, we're over-familiar with it. We've almost lost the punch of it. We don't realize how radical it would be for a human being to actually live the Jesus way. I mean, I was thinking about how how could you compare this. Imagine if a few of us decided to go home today driving on the other side of the road. (laughs) Imagine how radical that would be. Imagine how everyone else is going one way, and you start to try and bob and weave up the other way. It just... It would be so hard to do, right? And no doubt it would, be, it would be reported. Soon it would be on the radio that some crazy people are driving. The, you know, it would get noticed. If a few of us went out today and actually lived the Jesus way, it would be radical. You'd go against the flow. It would get noticed. This isn't just a few nice moral sayings that we all just agree with. This is radical, countercultural teaching. It's the Jesus way. And We're going to introduce it today. I've got two main sections. I want to give an overall briefing for the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to get into the Beatitudes that sum up how radical, why this Sermon on the Mount is like driving on the other side of the road, living the Jesus way. Does that sound okay? Good, because that's what we're doing. (laughs) And The first thing is to set the scene. The Sermon on the Mount is God's pattern for life. Let me give you your briefing then. What do you need to know to understand the whole sermon as a whole? Well, firstly, where did it happen? It happened, Jesus gave this sermon overlooking Lake Galilee in modern-day Israel. You can see on the screen here a picture of Charlotte and myself. We went to what's known as the Mount of Beatitudes, which is the very site where Jesus taught these amazing words. Now, first up, you can see that it's not a mountain. (laughs) So it's already wrongly named as far as I'm concerned. The Sermon on the Mountain doesn't make any sense unless you live in Peterborough, where that does actually look like a mountain, all right? But for the rest of the world, that's not a mountain. Only in Peterborough is that a mountain. I want to rename it the Sermon on the Mole Hill. Does that sound okay to you? So that's where it happened. When did it happen? Well, we we're around 30 AD. Jesus now, as an adult, he's been grown up in Nazareth as a carpenter's son. He's learnt that trade. But now he's left Nazareth and set up a new headquarters in the region of Galilee. And he's announced the arrival of a kingdom. Matthew four seventeen precedes the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, Jesus has launched his public ministry. And now he wants to teach the crowds The kingdom code, the way of Jesus in the world. Now, that leads us on to who. Who heard the Sermon on the Mount? Who are the original hearers? Well, we're told this in the introduction to the sermon, Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So notice, there are crowds. There are people who are not yet committed to be Jesus' followers, disciples, but they're just wanting to listen in and understand what it's all about, and you might be in the crowd today, you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet committed, I want to say you're in the right place, just as in that day, so today, you can listen in and work out whether you want to become a Jesus follower. So there were crowds, but there were also, notice, disciples. Those who had committed themselves to the Jesus way. And the Sermon on the Mount is particularly challenging to disciples, to Jesus' followers. It's the way Jesus wants his people to live in the world. In fact, one of the punchlines throughout the Sermon on the Mount is this little phrase, Do not be like them. Do not be like them. He's speaking about the Pharisees, the religious people. Jesus says that's not the Jesus way. He's speaking about pagans, those who don't know God. That's not the Jesus way. No, no, he's calling us to drive on the other side of the road, to live a radically countercultural life. Now, what is in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the version we have amounts to around 2,000 words. Jesus almost certainly said a lot more than that, but that's the condensed summary that we have. And it's interesting that of those 2,000 words, not much of it is sort of churchy stuff. It's not the things that you do on Sunday morning that dominates. The teaching of Jesus is incredibly practical and everyday. We're going to look at topics like lust and anger management. We're going to look at marriage and divorce. We're going to look at revenge. We're going to look at gossip. We're going to look at anxiety and worry and peace and how to live life rooted in Christ, these are the topics that actually touch down in our everyday lives. God's not wanting us to be super spiritual through the kinds of sermons that Jesus gave. He wants us to get practical and actually live out the Jesus way, nine to five, Monday to Friday, etc. That's what it's about. Now, finally, why? Why do we need this teaching of Jesus so much today? Well, notice a little detail. Did you notice this? Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down to teach the crowds. Now, when a rabbi with authority sat down, that was the sign that they had the authority to teach. People teaching in those days sat down rather than standing up. So Jesus is sitting down with authority, but on a mountainside. Why? Well, because in the Old Testament, Moses went up onto a mountain, Mount Sinai, and God revealed the commandments, including the Ten Commandments, to Israel. God gave divine revelation on a mountain for how Israel was to live. That was the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, the same God who revealed himself to Israel and Moses now is going to reveal himself through Jesus Christ. This is the authority of God speaking as we listen to Jesus. But this time, it's not just commandments for Israel. This is God's truth for the world. This is God's revelation for how human beings are meant to live in God's world. Now, if that is, to, <laughs> that sounds pretty important, don't you think? I mean, this life is not a dress rehearsal, right? This is the real thing. So as quickly as possible, we should find out, are there, is there a particular way that we're meant to live in the world in order to live the best life that we can? Imagine it this way. Come over to my workbench i 'll um, stun you with my DIY skills. Uh, these are my granddad 's tools actually he, he knew how to use them, and, and i don 't. But I want to make a simple point, which is this: Can you see this wood? Imagine this represents the world in which we live. Notice that it 's got a grain, a pattern ingrained, running through the whole thing now. If you want to work with this wood, any carpenter, and Jesus was a carpenter, any carpenter knows you've got to go with the grain, right? Then you can shape it. Then you could turn this piece of wood into a violin and make music and dancing and laughter in the room. But you've got to go with the pattern that's established in the grain. If you go against the grain, it will end in splinters and tears, Now, God has made this world and us with a pattern. There is a way to live in the world. And if you want to flourish, you've got to understand that pattern and go with it. We're not pieces of plastic. We're not man-made. We're not able to live any old which way we choose. There's a way we're designed to live. And this is what Jesus is going to reveal in the Sermon on the Mount. It's God's revelation For the pattern, the grain, the way that we're called to live in the world. Now, if that's true, surely there'd be nothing more important than a series to unpack. The teachings of Jesus, sitting with authority over the crowd of humanity and saying, live the Jesus way. Amen? So what is the Jesus way? How are we as humans to live in the world? Well, I'm going to only set up the series by looking at the opening eight sayings of Jesus. They're called the Beatitudes, because, well, that word, beatitude, it means blessed. And each of these sayings of Jesus begins with the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We'll come to that in a moment, etc. Now, before we do, let me just say a couple of things about the word blessed. Because it sounds like a super spiritual, archaic word. But in the ancient world, if you were blessed, it meant you were favored. It meant you were, well, I think the modern equivalent of blessed is successful. Jesus is going to lay down eight statements of what a successful life looks like. That's what I think the Beatitudes are in our modern equivalent. Now I wonder if you were to analyse culture, adverts, media, social media scrolls, and come up with eight sayings of how a successful life would be defined by the world today, I wonder what sort of things we'd say. It would include being loaded with a lot of money, right, having good looks and fashion and being comfortable and great experiences for yourself and being yourself, all these other things. I don't know what it would include, but certainly those. Now with that in mind, Jesus says, but I want you to think another way about what success looks like. Everyone else is driving on this side of the road. I want you to go the other way. Here's Jesus' eight statements of what success looks like if you're part of the kingdom of God. Are you ready for a shock? (laughs) Here's what success looks like. For they will be called children of God, and blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you listen to that, blessed are those who are poor, upset, and hungry. (laughs) That is topsy-turvy values, right? This is a different kind of kingdom. There's something that we've missed about what real success looks like as a human being, and Jesus is going to turn things on its head in these eight statements. Now, I believe the first four particularly focus on our vertical relationship with God. And then the the next four focus more on our horizontal relationships with one another, as this little visual you can see captures our vertical relationship, first four, and then how we relate to one another, the second four. So let me just briefly introduce this series with a few words on each. Firstly... In terms of how we relate to God, if you want to live the best life a human can live, you must humble yourself before God. If you want to live the best life a human can live, Jesus says you must humble yourself before God. That's what the first four Beatitudes are all about. Notice, they are Beatitudes. Before Jesus will talk about what we do, he's wanting to talk about who, what we, I was going to say what we be. <laughs> that sounds like someone from Devon, doesn't it? What we be. What we be. Sorry if you're from Devon. Um, Next door to heaven, my Cornish friends used to say about Devon. Uh, Anyway, I'm distracted. What was I saying? Yeah, before he'll talk about what we need to do, he wants to describe how we need to be in the world. Be attitudes. And the attitude we need to have is that we need to humble ourselves before God. Listen to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice he's using poverty here, not literal economic poverty, though God does care for the poor. He's talking about poverty of spirit. That is to say, if you were asking someone spiritually, how much have you got? The kind of person who's going to enter the kingdom says, I'm bankrupt. I've got nothing to give to God. I I can't impress God with anything I've got. I'm spiritually poor. And Jesus says, if you feel that, you're blessed. Yours will be the kingdom of heaven. You can't buy your way into God's kingdom. The only way you can get into God's kingdom is by declaring yourself bankrupt, and then the doors open. Isn't that amazing? Blessed are you who mourn, Jesus says. It's a, it's a linked point, because again, he's not talking about those who've lost a loved one, literal mourning, though again, God cares for those who mourn or grieve. He's using it as a metaphor for how we feel about ourselves. I'm upset. Mourning is about being upset, not happy with how things are. Jesus says if you feel that, if you're not comfortable, instead of being smug and proud, if you feel upset with the way that you're living and you want to change, he says you're right on the edge of the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. You'll be comforted. You'll find change that you seek if you seek it from God. Blessed are the meek, he says. You're going to inherit the earth. This is the opposite of the Vladimir Putin way, right? Right? This is not asserting yourself on the world and trying to conquer others. This is a meekness, not weakness, but a meekness that recognizes I've got my faults and I know who I am and I'm humble before God. And Jesus says those are the people who will inherit the earth. The word for meekness can actually be used of a horse that's been broken in. It's still got all its strength, but it's been brought under control instead of being wild in proud living. And Jesus is saying, these are the attitudes, the attitudes that will get blessed. That's how success should be measured. How humble are you before God? He goes on to say in his fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, in the ancient world, if you were hungry or thirsty, that was a life and death situation. It was very visceral. It wasn't just, I'm hungry, I'm going to open the cupboards. That was a sense of survival. You would have become so distracted by that desire that until it was quenched, you couldn't focus on anything else. And Jesus is saying, if you feel that way about God, if instead of seeking everything else, you're seeking after him, you will be filled. You see the point? Until This is the irony. The paradox of the kingdom is this. Until you empty yourself, you will be empty. But when you empty yourself of yourself, God can fill you when you hunger and thirst because of an emptiness of your soul that says, I'm not happy with who I am and I want you, God, only then are you in a state where you can be filled and satisfied with the good things God has. That's the kingdom of God. That's the nature. In other words, the vertical relationship of someone who wants to live the best, blessed life, that vertical relationship looks something like this. They live their life from the place of, from a posture of surrender to God. Humble yourself before God. I don't know about you, but I've noticed with myself that the more I creep into the world's way of becoming interested in self-importance, selfish ambition, self-interest, it's then that I become more and more stressed. Have you noticed this? The stress levels rise, and you don't sleep very well, and you're not at peace in the world precisely when you're most fighting for your own self-importance. But when you humble yourself before God, there's a grace to live well in the world. I was just recently just beginning my day uh, much more intentionally. I'd, I'd slipped out of the habit, but I'm beginning my day and ending my day before when I get up out of bed and when I, when I, before I go to bed, just on my knees. Because I need to remind Andrew Ollerton, humble yourself before God. I was particularly thinking of one Peter where he says, where Peter says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore go under god's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due course cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you yeah so that's how to live the best life on our knees humble before god and then secondly in the second half of the beatitudes Jesus goes on to say, and if you want to live your best life, that's how you relate to God. And how do you relate to others? Devote yourself, devote yourself to serving others. The Beatitudes go on to say things like this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when people persecute you in my name. In other words, Jesus is saying the kind of blessed life, the successful life as God defines it, is when someone is no longer living for themselves, but they're humble before God and they devote themselves to the service of others, making peace in the world, forgiving their enemies and triumphing over evil. Now, I don't know about you, but I like Jesus' ideals, but does it work? (laughs) You know, is it actually true that you can live a blessed life by being more concerned about other people? I was fascinated by a study by an atheist psychologist called, uh, called uh, Jonathan Haidt, and he in this study, which is called the happiness hypothesis, he did a massive piece of research with a team of researchers trying to identify the factors that actually make humans happy. And he, came, he gathered all of these findings together in a case study of Bob and Mary, and I found this fascinating. This is a non-Christian atheist, right, and this is based on statistical findings, He describes Bob and he says, Bob is 35 years of age, he's white, he's attractive, he's athletic and he earns over $100,000 a year living in South California uh, where it's beautiful and hot and sunny and whenever Bob has free time, he spends it on himself. He'll he'll, he'll go for uh, expensive dinners, he likes visiting museums and art galleries and travelling and exercising in the gym. That's Bob, right? Sounds like he's got everything. Then you've got Mary. Mary is 60 years of age. She's got health problems. She's black and she's experienced some pretty horrible discrimination in her life at times. She earns less than $40,000 a year. And when she's got any free time, she spends it volunteering at her local church and caring for friends in the community. Now, here's Jonathan Hayde's point, and he's not a Christian, right? He's just looking at the statistics and he says this. This is the conclusion. Bob seems to have it all. Few would choose Mary's life, yet statistically, if you had to bet on it, you would bet that Mary is happier than Bob. Isn't that extraordinary? That's not the Sermon on the Mount speaking, that's someone speaking from a non-Christian statistical perspective, that if you live for yourself, you become miserable. If you devote yourself to others, you will be blessed. That is exactly what Jesus was teaching. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. Jesus is taking the bobs who seem in our world's eyes to be on top and the Marys who seem beneath, and he's turning the tables. And he's saying we need to exalt the Marys and humble the bobs because true, successful, blessed life is found the Mary way, not the Bob way. Living the Jesus way is about devoting ourselves to others. I don't know what sort of a challenge that brings your way, but these Beatitudes are quite specific. As you think about what does this actually look like, it means, in particular, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It means living a life of merciful generosity, showing kindness to others that is over and above what anyone could possibly deserve. I wonder how we could do that this week. Generosity was one of the factors in this happiness hypothesis that was linked to happiness. Generosity. I remember hearing someone else uh, in a little program I watched, and they made this little phrase, and they said this, you have never met an unhappy, generous person. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I thought, do you know what? I don't think I have. I think the only miserable people you seem to meet are people who are stingy. Have you noticed this? You've never met an unhappy, generous person. That's right back to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who love to give themselves away in merciful giving to others. And then he says this and blessed are the peacemakers, those who go around in the world seeking to bring back together that which has fallen apart, seeking to overturn offense with kindness. This is the ultimate demonstration of Christianity in the world because we believe in a Savior who died for his enemies on a Roman cross. He's the ultimate peacemaker. And we're his disciples. And he says, Now follow in my footsteps, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. When I think of that, I have to tell you a story in finishing which I heard when I went, I visited New Zealand a couple of years ago, and I remember uh, this incredible story. I visited a waterfall, and I was told this story at the waterfall. New Zealand's biggest waterfall. And it's the story of a young girl called Tarore in the middle of the 19th century. She was a Maori daughter of a tribal chief. And some missionaries came to her tribe, and they brought a Luke's gospel, which included the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching, In Maori, it had been translated. And they brought it to her tribe, and they taught Tarore to read. And she was a child prodigy. She was incredible. She memorized Luke's gospel in Maori. And she used to read it and memorize, speak it out to her tribe, and people would gather to listen. Well, one day, Tarore, who was now a Jesus follower, was camping with some of her tribe on top of this waterfall. And they were attacked in the night, and she was murdered by one of the other tribe. And he not only murdered her, but he ripped from her around her neck the copy of Luke's gospel that she carried as her own treasure around her neck. And he stole it, thinking it might be worth something. He didn't know what it was. He couldn't read. But he stole it anyway, and off he went. Terore's body is taken back to the tribe, where her father, the tribal leader, is told you must now exact utu, which is Maori for revenge. That's the culture that they had. You revenge. You get vengeance on your enemies. But Tarore's father had listened to her reading Luke's gospel. He'd heard the Sermon on the Mount. He, he understood that the blessed life is to go the other way. And do you know what he did? He forgave the murderer. And he refused his tribe permission to take revenge. Incredible. Well, fast forward a couple of years, and the murderer, their tribe now is also visited by the missionaries, and the murderer is taught to read. And he now reads... Tarore's copy of Luke's Gospel, including the Sermon on the Mount, and he becomes a Jesus follower. And so this man, now a follower of Jesus, goes to Tarore's father and asks him for forgiveness now that he understands the Jesus way. The two men embrace. They decide to build a church together. You can still visit this church in a Murai, a Maori community in New Zealand. They build a church together where many more people become Jesus followers, and then they take that copy of Luke's Gospel around the South Island of New Zealand and tribe after tribe come to know Jesus Christ because of the testimony of Tarore and Luke's gospel. Isn't that incredible? Today, so many of the New Zealand All Blacks have a cross on their wrist as they beat everyone at rugby because the Maori culture has been so impacted by the gospel. Why? Because blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. The meek will inherit the earth. That's what it looks like to live out these kingdom values of Jesus Christ. Now, whatever that means for us this week, and I don't know the detail of your life and you don't know mine, I urge us to believe, it's it's an act of faith to start with, that there is a pattern, a grain to this world, and Jesus shows us the best way, the blessed way, and then to decide to live that way, whatever the cost, To follow Jesus Christ. And if today you are committed to that, you say, I I know I've got things wrong, I know I'm not perfect, but I want to live the Jesus way. I want to invite you to respond and to humble yourself before God and to devote yourself to serving others. What an incredible impact it would have on Peterborough and the surrounding area if just a handful of us actually lived the Jesus way drove the other way through that one-way traffic and said, this is the way we live. We follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, let me give a moment for us to respond uh, to this challenging message of Jesus. Maybe today that you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're part of that crowd I mentioned. They were listening in but not committed. It may be today that you want to commit yourself to Christ. In a moment, I'm going to invite those who want to to physically kneel. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ today, kneel. Commit your life to him by kneeling. That's actually how I got started in the Christian life. And I want you to feel full permission just to kneel and give your life to the Lord. But along with those making a first-time commitment, I want to invite those of us who are Jesus followers to recommit to the Jesus way. Because I don't know about you, I've read this Sermon on the Mount. I was reading the, the Luke equivalent of it a few weeks back. I was saying to someone after the first service, I was reading it and I was thinking, do you know what? I don't know if I am a Christian. (laughs) Do do you know what I mean? You read this stuff and you think, goodness me, this is so challenging. Now, I say that in jest. I'm a Christian because I've believed in the Saviour, Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. And it's through faith that we're justified by God. But having believed, the Lord actually expects us to live the Jesus way. He expects us to actually live countercultural, radical lives that tell the world there's another way to be human. And I don't know about you, I feel deeply challenged to recommit myself to the Jesus way, amen? And if you'd like to join me, I'd like to invite you to kneel right now physically, if you can. I realize some of us may not be physically able to and don't feel any pressure to, but if you would like to dedicate yourself to the Jesus way, the Sermon on the Mount way of living, just kneel with me now, whether for the first time, you're committing yourself to Jesus, or you're a Jesus follower, but you know you've not always been living this way and you want to dedicate your life, let's kneel before the Lord. And firstly, let's humble ourselves before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Just on your knees now, just declare yourself to be spiritually bankrupt. The only thing you've got a hope in is grace. I've got nothing to impress God with. I'm going to live off benefits and handouts and the blessing of God for the rest of my life. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. We are so poor, Lord, but you are rich in mercy. Blessed are those who mourn. Lord, we're not happy with the way we've been living. Just turning up at church and then going off and living too much like everyone else. Lord, there's a hunger and a thirst in our hearts for righteousness today. We want to hunger, we empty ourselves before you that we might be filled with your Holy Spirit and empowered to live a different life. We want the world to see that there's something salty and light about us, Lord, a difference that points to Jesus. Oh Christ, be magnified in us. We're thirsty and hungry for that, Lord. We're distracted by that desire not to be filled by some more money or some, a bigger house or another car, but by f- to be filled with the Spirit of God. Blessed are the merciful, the generous ones, the ones who take care of others, who put themselves out there for others. Blessed are the peacemakers like Terore and her father who overcome evil with good. God, we want to be the blessed ones, the happy, the successful ones in your sight. Oh, forgive us for becoming enamoured and bewitched by the world's way. Oh, today, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we choose the Jesus way. Glory to your name. Just on your knees or where you're seated, just lift your prayer to the Lord. We're going to begin to worship now. You can stay kneeling or stay seated, but as we sing, Christ, be magnified in me, it's a Cry from the heart to live the Jesus way. Let's worship the Lord. Holy is his name. Come Holy Spirit as we worship now. Move among us and empower us to be the Jesus people that you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord.